Good morning and welcome to Shelby Christian Church. I'm Kevin Comp, the Life Group and Discipleship Minister here. And I'm so glad you've joined us this morning. You've braved the cold weather and the massive amounts of snow to make your way into church and worship God. Uh, we're so, that might have been a little bit of sarcasm, but we're excited to have you this morning. And I just want to remind you of a couple things that are going on. First of all, we've got fresh grounded faith. Uh, that is, uh, the signups are back there. Tickets are available after service. We've got the Valentine's Day Couples Banquet. And if you haven't signed up for that, uh, we need you to do that today, uh, and get your ticket for that because, uh, we got a catering coming. It's going to be really good food. Trust me, I'm in charge of it. And, uh, it's going to be fantastic. You want to sign up? That's next Sunday night. And we're not looking to like, it's in the gym. We're going to keep plenty of space to keep it safe and be wise with that. But we want to make sure you're a part of that. And, a big thing that's going on uh, next weekend on Saturday night, the daddy-daughter date night. So if you're a, a grandfather or a dad, you want to bring your uh, granddaughter or daughter up here to the event, we're going to have a dance, and the kids love it. And it's a fantastic night to just tell your uh, little one that you love them. I know my daughter is extremely excited to be there for that. So I'm excited for it, too. We are so glad you're here this morning. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand up? And would you do some um, uh, telekinetic high fives across the across the way to people? Little waves, little smiles. Just pull your mask down just a little bit and let somebody see you smile. We're so glad you're here. Let's worship together this morning. Dave's going to continue in a sermon series on unity. We're excited to hear that, and as he wraps up that series, let's worship God this morning together. Thank you.
seated. So I don't know what your plans are for next weekend. I mean, guys, it's a big weekend. I know there's a Super Bowl going on tonight, but as far as romance goes, next weekend's the Super Bowl. It's Valentine's Day. And we have a thousand different ways that we express love in our world today, right? And there's probably some really unique ones here that uh, maybe for some of you, there's an act of work or service that you do for your spouse or the person you love. You maybe till the garden and get it ready or you uh, do wash windows or you help around the house or there's a project. You Maybe it's flowers or candy. Or my, my wife and I, we really aren't big into the Valentine's Day. I always tell her she's my sweetheart every day of the year. 
Um, eh, it doesn't go over that well. But anyway, we do. We have lots of different ways we let people know that we love them. Jesus, when he was preparing his disciples for what was to come, he said this to him in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14. He said, this is my commandment. I think that means it's pretty important that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He said, we have all kinds of gestures and things that we do to say we love someone. But Jesus told his disciples and he was telling us, I love you so much. And there's no greater love that I, and no greater way that I can show you than dying for you on the cross. And they didn't understand it at that point, but he was laying down his life, not just for those disciples, not just for the 12 or the 120 or the thousands that would come later, but for generations and centuries after to this moment right here, God was saying, I love you this much. And he put his life down for us. So we approach communion this morning. I hope you're reminded of the greatest love. It may not be sitting beside you this morning. No offense. But it's sitting beside God this morning. And it's the one we come to worship and adore. And so this moment we have when we take this little chip of bread and this little cup of juice is to remember him. And so it's a moment for us to pray and spend time with him, thanking him for the sacrifice of his life for ours. And there simply is not a greater love. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you would set an example of what true love is. That you would give your life for ours. Not just our life here as we walk this earth, but our life forever that we could be saved. God, I hope that we are not just reminded, but in deep inside of us that we would be moved into action to obey you, to love you back in return, to be called friends. We love you and we thank you as we take this cup and we take this chip of bread. Uh, we're reminded that you loved us most of all. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Oh, John.
Revival that's possible when when those of us who claim that we believe act like we believe what we say we believe we do it in a way that draws people to it God our, our world needs revival 
And yet the beautiful thing is, God, we know that if we look through history, every time there's been something crazy, devastating, persecuting, that immediately following that there was a great awakening. God, I long to be a part of that great awakening. So God, today as we finish up this this critically important series, God, move inside of us. God, would you just do something this morning to shake us up, to wake us up, to start revival inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hope you've had an awesome, awesome week and that you're going to have a super Sunday. Uh, thanks uh, for worshiping with us uh, for three weeks now. We've been talking about something critical. Uh, today's the fourth week and I ask you guys uh, to hang in there for all four weeks. So if you've hung in there for all four weeks, great. If you missed a week, uh, go back online, watch, catch up. Uh, because I think that, uh, that this is one of the most important things the churches need to be talking about, uh, right now in this season of life. How do we, how do we find a separation between church and hate? So easy to hate. The world's full of hate. Hate's everywhere. And it's so easy. But, but while the world is, is polarized and angry and segregated and ticked off and throw in whatever other adjectives you want to write there, people are circling their wagons and, uh, and we've kind of gotten to this point where we want to only associate with those of our own kind. Here's the deal. As followers of Jesus Christ, I think we are sitting on the precipice of a golden opportunity to make a difference. To, to look and to be different. To help forge something that is going to be a great awakening. To be part of the solution. Not, <coughs> excuse me, not part of the problem. I think we have to do that by being civil in the way that we behave with one another. I think we've got to be very careful to be quick to listen and be slow to speak, really slow to become angry. Anger's so easy right now. I, I mean, come on. How long do you have to think about something to figure out something you can be angry about? Uh, like a nanosecond, right? I mean, there is so much right now. And if you're anything like me, it only takes about a nanosecond to flip that switch right now. There, there's so many things going on, and I fight all the time not to get angry over this or over that, but to behave civilly and to be quick to listen, be slow to speak. I, th- I think this is a time when we've got to learn to uh, to act in dignity and to love all people and to understand that love begins with understanding. To ask that question, help me understand. Help me understand why you feel that way. Help me understand why you, you, you're trying to go down that path. And then like we talked about last week, just to demonstrate humility to truly believe that there is nothing beneath us and if there's nothing beneath us therefore there's no one beneath us and for that to happen takes teamwork 
It takes teamwork. We've got to do this together. We've got to work on this together to make a difference. And, and it's a perfect day for us to finish up this series because today is a day of teamwork, right? I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday. It's an amazing day because more people watch football today than any other day during the year. People who don't normally like football watch football today. Well, they don't watch maybe football, but they watch the game. Why do they watch the game? Because there's more commercials on today than any other day of the year and people watch people that hate football will watch the super bowl to see the commercials some of them aren't worth seeing but that's what they'll watch for it's an amazing amazing day now for the last two weeks since the championship games were over the talk's been about two guys two guys patrick mahomes and tom brady that's all that you've heard about for the last two weeks. If you listen to any football at all, the quarterbacks of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Patrick Mahomes, the youngest quarterback ever to play in two Super Bowls, and he won the one he was in, first one he was in last year. And Tom Brady, the GOAT. The greatest of all time. So some would say in terms of quarterbacks, and we could start a whole different argument like that. 10 Super Bowls. I mean, that's, that's, that's hard to compete. 10 Super Bowls. So Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and the world's kind of been going back and forth. Who's going to win tonight? Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady? Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? In fact, let's just, for those of you, who, if, if you don't care, you don't have to vote, okay? But for those of you who are even watching tonight, how many of you think Patrick Mahomes wins the second Super Bowl? Alright, do you hands? How many of you think the GOAT, Tom Brady, wins another one? Alright, hands up everywhere. The rest of you, I assume, don't care. Here's what I'm gonna tell you. You know who wins the Super Bowl tonight? Neither one of those guys. Neither one of those guys wins the Super Bowl tonight. In fact, here's something. Watch the game and prove, see if I'm not correct in this. They will never be on the field at the same time until the end of the game when they're shaking hands. Patrick Mahomes is not playing Tom Brady tonight. The Kansas City Chiefs are playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now likely, likely, one of them will probably likely get the MVP when the game's all over tonight. They're both going to the Hall of Fame. But neither one of them is going to win the game. I'll even go this far. I'll suggest to you, and, and I think there's evidence that could prove this, that neither, neither Tom Brady nor Patrick Mahomes, as good as they are, could win a game against any high school team in America by themselves. You put any high school team in America of 11 guys out there with those two guys, and they're going to lose. The beautiful part is, they're not playing each other. And they're not playing by themselves. They've got some really big humans in front of them. Have you noticed that? And then they've got some really fast humans out to the side of them. They are just leading a team, not playing the Super Bowl. See, guys, the key is unity. Cohesiveness. Whichever team has that tonight is likely going to win the Super Bowl. You can hype the quarterbacks all that you want. And like I said, one of them's probably going to be the MVP. They're going to the Hall of Fame. But it only works if they lead a team. 
and the team works together. See, without unity, they're going to be disarray. You know, we've seen that. There's, there's times that it looks like the team comes out of the huddle and goes to the line, and it looks like they've called four different plays. And sometimes they go to the line and they can't even remember the snap count and somebody jumps too soon. They, you know, the 10 feet from where they huddle to where they get the line and they can't remember if they're going on one or two and somebody jumps too soon. See, our world is struggling today because we're not working as a team. The church is struggling today. The church, not, not Shelby, the church, the big C church. It's struggling worldwide today because we're not working as a team. We can't remember the plays. We leave the huddle and we got all kinds of other ideas. And this person wants to run this play and this person wants to run this play. And this person's mad at that person because they're getting the ball more than they're getting the ball. And the, the team is struggling. The team is struggling. But the church, the church should be the greatest team sport of all that we work together we come together as members of the body we come together but that's going to happen we got to quit rocking the boat i I brought the stool up here because i just want to sit down and i just want to have story time for a minute if we could Uh, max lucato is one of the greatest writers of our era and many of you have read his books if you've really been blessed you've got to listen you've been able to listen to him tell a story and paint a picture and there's no way that i'll be able to do it in the way that he does it but i want to read one of his stories it's about a ship it says god has enlisted us in his navy placed us on his ship and the boat has one purpose to carry us safely to the other shore. Now, this is no cruise ship. It's a battleship. And we aren't called to a life of leisure. We are called to a life of service. Each of us has a different task on this ship. Some, some concerned with those who are drowning are reaching over and snatching people from the water. Others are occupied with the enemy, so they man the cannons of prayer and worship still others devote themselves to the crew feeding and training uh feeding and training the crew members though different we're all the same we're on the same team each can tell of a personal encounter with the captain for each has received a personal call he found us among the shanties of the seaport and invited us to follow him And our faith was born at the sight of his fondness. And so we went. We each followed him across the gangplank. The gangplank of his grace onto the same boat. There is one captain and only one destination. And though the battle is fierce, the boat is safe, and our captain is God, and the ship will not sink. For that there is no concern. There is concern, however regarding the disharmony of the crew see when we first boarded we assumed the crew was made up of others just like us but as we've wandered around the decks we've encountered curious converts with curious appearances some wear uniforms on this ship that we've never seen sporting styles we've never witnessed why do you look that way we asked them funny they reply we were about to ask you the same question 
The variety of dress is not nearly as disturbing as the plethora of opinions. See, there's a group, for example, who clusters every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and somber expressions, serving the captain as serious business, they explain. It's no coincidence that they congregate around the stern. There is another regiment deeply devoted to prayer, he said. Not only do they believe in prayer, they believe in prayer by kneeling. And for that reason, you always know where to locate them. They're at the bow of the ship. And then there are a few who staunchly believe that real wine should be used in the Lord's Supper. And you'll find them on the port side. Still another group has positioned themselves near the engine. They spent hours examining the nuts and bolts, uh, nuts and bolts of the boat. And they've been known to go below deck, not come up for days. And they are occasionally criticized by those who linger on the top deck, feeling the wind in their hair and the sun in their face. It's not what you learn, those on the top side of what argue. It's what you feel that matters. And oh... Oh, how we tend to cluster on the ship. Some think that once you're on the boat, you can't get off. Others think you'd be foolish to go overboard, but the choice is yours. Some believe you volunteer for service. Others believe you were destined for the service before the ship was even built. Some predict a storm of great tribulation will strike before we dock. Others say it won't hit until we are safely ashore. There are those who speak to the captain in their own personal language. There are those who think that such languages are extinct. There are those who think the officers should wear robes, and there are those who think there should be no officers at all. There are those who think all officers, uh, all are officers and should all wear robes and Oh, how we tend to cluster in groups. And then there is the issue of the weekly meeting at which the captain is thanked and his words are read. All agree on its importance, but few agree on its nature. Some want it loud, others quiet. Some want it ritualistic, others want it spontaneous. Some want to celebrate so they can meditate and others want to meditate so they can celebrate. Some want a meeting for those who've gone overboard, and others want to reach those overboard, but without going overboard and neglecting those on board. Oh, how we tend to cluster on the boat. The consequence of all this is a rocky boat. There is trouble on deck. Fights have broken out. Sailors have refused to speak to each other. There have been times when one group refused to acknowledge the presence of others on the ship. Most tragically... Some adrift at sea have chosen not to board the boat because of the quarreling sailors. Unfortunately, uh, although that was written a decade or more ago by Max Lucado, I think it pretty well sums up the world. And far too often sums up the church. Why is unity so elusive? See, if if unity is hard for us, those that should be unified with one unifying faith, if unity is so hard for us, it, it should be no wonder that it seems impossible in our culture and for our world, especially, especially during an election season. 
Now, now, one of the main causes, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper this morning, and I'm going to uh, pray for me because I'm going to even throw a couple words out that I got to be really careful to make sure that I pronounce them right and enunciate uh, appropriately. Because the real problem in our culture is what sociologists call the fundamental attribution error. You never thought you would hear me say that, did you? <laughs> See, this this phrase was coined by a guy named Dr. Lee Ross, a, a psychologist at Stanford University. And it refers to the cognitive bias that attributes people's behavior to their character rather than their circumstances. Let me illustrate it for you. It will make more sense, I believe. For example, let's say Alice is driving and gets cut off in traffic by Bob. We've all been there. We've experienced that, right? Your spouse has taken that picture of you sometime before, right? And what does Alice assume about Bob? Well, she might, she might have a fundamental attribution error and judge his character by his behavior. He cut me off because he's a jerk. He's selfish, thoughtless jerk who doesn't know how to drive. And people who cut you off like that are only thinking of themselves. They're jerks. See, what we're doing when we think that is we're attributing their behavior to their character. Now, she doesn't know really hardly anything about Bob, except he cut her off. That's a cognitive bias. She prejudiced in the way that she thinks. She prejudged him, and consequently she judged his character, who he was, based on a very limited understanding of what she's seen. The fact that he cut her off in traffic. Now, if she were more mature, more patient, more loving, she might think, maybe it's not character. Maybe, maybe it's his circumstances. She might think, think, think things like, maybe his daughter is having convulsions at school and he's trying his best to get to her as quick as he can. She might think maybe maybe his wife is in labor at the hospital and he's doing everything he can to get there. She might even think maybe he's just late for his flight and it's a really important flight. See, that kind of grace, rather than judgment, would actually humanize Bob a, a little bit and make it easier for her to be kinder to him. Make it easier for her to give him a break. Now, it wouldn't excuse what he did. He cut her off. It wouldn't make that right, but it would keep her from becoming so angry, slow to become angry, and make her a lot more understanding. Now, I, I know some of you probably thinking, what in the world are you talking about, Dave? That's not even real. Yeah, it is. You do this for yourself all the time, Right? You you make those judgments yourself. When when we when we cut someone off in traffic, we don't immediately start thinking, "Man, I'm such a jerk. <laughs> I'm a thoughtless, selfish jerk who doesn't know how to drive." No, no, we've always got a reason, right? We've always got a reason for what we do. We're quick to explain our behavior based on our circumstances. 
I, I had to make that cut. I had to cut that person off because I'm late for a job interview and, and my family. I really need this job to support my family. I, I had to pick up my sixth son from school. I got to get there as quick as I can. I, I, and then we say things like, I'm so thoughtful in our mind. We're thinking, I'm so thoughtful, so responsible. I have to cut in front of you to take care of these things that I'm responsible for. The reason I cut you off is because I'm so responsible. But we would never think that of the other guy. Now, here, what does this have to do with the separation of church and hate? Have you ever heard someone say things like, all Democrats are corrupt? They act that way because they're all corrupt. Or all Republicans are heartless. They act that way because they don't care. They're, they're all heartless. And Democrats, all Democrats are socialists. We know they are. And, and all Republicans, they're racist. We know they are. They're never admitted, but we know they are. We can see their hearts. Every single one of them, really. We've heard that a lot in the last 12 months, haven't we? Either way you go. See, what that is is a classic, fundamental attributional error based on prejudice based on prejudging see i think it is the weakness the weakness of our sinful flesh that enables followers of jesus to be pulled into this kind of fundamental attribution error and i've been guilty have you? If you find yourself guilty of that at times. Now, here's the beauty of all this. Jesus, Jesus knew this was going to happen. Jesus didn't cause this to happen, but Jesus knew this was going to happen. And on the last night of his life here on earth, Jesus prayed what is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. It's recorded in Scripture in John chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up there. We're going to look at two verses. Now this week in the e-news, I I just printed the entire chapter, John 17. If you've never read it, you need to. You need to spend time and dig into it. But I want to dig into two verses this morning. Starting in verse 20. Jesus, remember, knows what's about to happen. They've had the last supper together. He's getting ready to go. And here's what he prays. He's praying to his father. And if you go down to verse 20, he says, I pray for these followers, the ones right there. But I am also praying for all who will believe in me because of their teaching. Okay, let me, let me back up make sure we get that right. Okay. Jesus is there with the disciples. He said, Father, I pray for these men right here. But I also pray for all of those. Not just all those in the next day. Not just all those in the next week. Not just all of those in the next year. Not just all of those for the next decade. I pray for all of those Who will, not haven't yet, they haven't yet, but they will believe because of their teaching. Father, I pray that 
they can all be one. As you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they can also be one in us. And then, look at this, this is, this is so cool. You got to underline this. Then, then, then the world will believe that you sent me. If those people, he's saying, if they all believe as one. Those are precious words, guys. Jesus, 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 knowing the end is near, prays one final time for his followers. I think it's striking that he prayed not for their success. He didn't pray for their safety. He didn't pray for their happiness. What one thing did Jesus pray for? He prayed for their unity. He prayed for their unity. That they would be one. That they would love each other. And as he prayed, he didn't just pray for those guys in that room. He prayed for you and for me and for anyone throughout all of history who would choose to believe because of what they taught. And it's been passed down for generation after generation after generation since then. Now stay with me because this next point is huge. And if you're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll miss this. And I think this next point is what's messing us up right now. It's what's messing us up all over the world right now. Because what Jesus prayed here was for unity, not uniformity. See... The Apostle Paul said, I don't even want you to be conformed, to be uniform, to be stuck in the pattern of this world. But I want you to be transformed. I want you to be unified. In the book of Revelation lets us see that there's going to be great diversity in heaven, not great division. Because John was able to look in and see. And when he looked in heaven, you know what he saw? He saw men and women. Of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation. And he saw them all bowing and kneeling and praising the same God. We gotta get this right, guys. We gotta figure this out. We gotta get this thing down and we gotta get this right and we don't have too much time left to do it. In college, I studied church history. It was the best three semesters of my life. It was a two-semester course, but it was the best three semesters. We'll just leave it at that. And I studied about the restoration movement, which churches like ours are a part of. There are some, there were some guys that were foundational, fundamental and foundational in the founding of it. Uh, there were guys like Barton W. Stone and Alexander Campbell and another yeah, Thomas Campbell. They they even shook hands and formed what this movement is actually in Lexington, Kentucky. In fact, if you go down Main Street in Lexington, there's a sign where where they shook hands and said, "We got to change things. We got to become unified." Because what they were all upset about was denominationalism, and people had gotten away from understanding the big C church, and they were all about their little 
whole church. In fact, in fact, here's the interesting thing. Thomas Campbell, Thomas Campbell, one of the founders of our movement, before he became part of this and started this restoration movement, Thomas Campbell was a pastor of the Old Light Anti-Burger Seceder Presbyterian Church. Now, every one of those adjectives in front of church represents a division in a church. That, that if there was an old light, guess what? That, yes, there was. There was a new light. And if there was an anti-burger, yes, there was a burger. And if there were those that seceded, yes, there were those who didn't secede. There was there was all these adjectives that represented all the division. And that was the. And he's like, this has got to quit. This is crazy. But stay with me here. In fact, you might want to raise your feet right now. Because if we're not really careful, before long, we're going to see signs out in front of churches. That say things like mask only vaccinated white Republican hymn singing church. And you change the adjectives however you want to. To pick whatever church you want to be a part of. And then whatever the adjectives say at the bottom. They'll all have the same tagline. Everyone welcome. Yeah right. Guys we got to get this right. I believe with all my heart. I believe with all my heart that one of the biggest reasons our world can't get it right is because the church of Jesus Christ can't get it right. We got to get it right. We got to work really, really hard to get it right. How do we do that? I'm, I'm convinced. It's what we've been talking about for a month. I'm convinced that unity is achieved by behaving with civility. That it's achieved by acting with dignity and treating people in love. It's achieved by demonstrating humility. And, and as I was praying about this week and, and listening, just I try not to even turn the news on, but sometimes you, you almost can't avoid it and you can't miss it. And it's like, I'm listening to stuff. Do you get a vaccine? Do you not get a vaccine? Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Do you love somebody whose skin is a different color than your skin? Do you help fund people that don't have the same funds that you do? What do you do? And, and, And I became convinced this week that the church, when functioning properly, should be the vaccination or at the very least the antidote against hate that's in our world today. Because hate is the disease that's destroying the world. Now for some, for some, they've been exposed to all kinds of hatred. Some of you guys here today, and some of the people are going to be the next service, and the next service have been exposed to all kinds of hatred. But because Jesus has been in their life, They've not given in to that hatred in their own life. They've been vaccinated by the love of Christ and they remain immune. But for others, for others who worship with us every week, they've contracted the disease and they've even passed it on to others, maybe through their own racism, their own political arrogance, their moral superiority. But somewhere, somewhere in the midst of their personal disease, their battle of their personal disease with hatred, somewhere in the middle of that, they came to know Jesus as their Savior, and He took that hatred away and became their antidote. 
And now they're living differently. And this can only happen when we learn to live in unity. See, guys, this is where the church comes in. Our unity, stay with me, our unity, our unity helps to build herd immunity against all forms of hatred. Let me say that again. If the church gets this right, our unity can help build the herd immunity against all forms of hatred. But you can't even spell immunity without the word unity. you got to get this right. See, being conservative politically is not the same as being conservative politically. We can, we can all agree on Jesus. <laughs> right? 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 Amen? We can all agree on Jesus. Even if we disagree on climate change, even if we disagree on immigration or health care reform or gun control, it's, it's painfully obvious. <laughs> it's painfully obvious that no political party has the corner on the market when it comes to truth. But Jesus does. That's why we keep asking through this series, are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter are you willing to look at people through the lens of Jesus rather than making sure they vote the same ticket you do I shared this quote with you before and it's one of my all time favorites it's how I've tried to live my life and sometimes I haven't gotten it right but you don't have to be my twin to be my brother See, the separation of church and hate requires civility and dignity and humility that all comes together in unity. And we can be part of the solution instead of part of the problem if we're willing to work on it. But the bottom line, guys, is that if we don't have unity inside the church, we can forget having an impact outside the church. Not uniformity, but unity. I I want to... I want to finish this up by asking you to do something. I want you to take just a second, maybe close your eyes if you need to, just so that you won't be thinking or seeing what somebody else writes down next to you. But I want you to think about a current issue, a hot topic in the news today that you feel really strongly about. I'll give you some suggestions. It could be the economy. It could be race. It could be climate change. Gender identity. Supporting our police. Gun control. Health care. Abortion. The list goes on and on. There's all kinds of issues. I want you to choose one of them in your mind right now. Just think of one of those issues in your mind. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, I want you to say that issue out loud. All right? Think of an issue. I'm going to count to three. And when I get there, you say that issue out loud. Okay? One. Two. 
three. Let me try that again. One, two, three. Kind of chaotic. Kind of chaotic. All kinds of different things. Maybe somebody in one service is going to be really loud and they can speak louder, but it's all different stuff. Now I want you to take just a moment. I want you to say a name. It's the name that's above every name. It's the only name by which we might be saved. One, two, three. Jesus. One, two, three. Unity comes not by rallying around a cause, but by surrendering our lives to a Savior, Jesus. Unity comes as we love God and allows us to love people, which in turn will save the world, change the world. Would you guys stand with me? I hope this whole series has all been about Jesus. I, I haven't wanted to really change any of your opinions or your ideologies. I've just wanted to focus on Jesus. And for this to really have the success that we want Jesus has to be Lord of your life so Ethan and the team are going to lead us and if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life Bradley and T-Rob and Dennis are here and we got folks that love to talk to you about that and while we sing I would invite you to come and just talk with one of these guys And as we've been saying for weeks now, we're going to keep saying, if you've got that part of it down and you're okay there, then I just want to encourage you to pray, God, would you just, would would there be a mighty move of your Holy Spirit like we've never seen in our midst? And will maybe this be the place, what if if God wants the epicenter of change to be right here on the hill and, and, and to spread out? with ripples across our community and ripples across the world. And and would you just pray, God, would you do something mighty among us? If you need to kneel at your seat, if you need to come to the front and kneel, that's fine. But would you pray for God, for God to move? And if the choice you need is to accept Jesus as Savior as we sing, would you run? Would you run and talk to one of these guys on our staff? Let them help you in that journey. Come on. Come awaken your people. Come awaken the city. Oh God of revival, pour it out.
God has done something to change something inside of someone. Remember all the announcements that Kevin gave you, the things that you can get tickets for. Next week, we want to invite you back next week. We're going to start a brand new series. Brand new series called Marriage Crashers. The world is trying to kill us. Satan is trying to still kill and destroy. And I think the smallest unit of the church is our families, and he's trying to crash that. And so we're going to give some tools to help keep that from happening. And, and so I just want to encourage you to be here. If, if you've got friends that maybe are struggling in their marriage or in their relationship, encourage them to come. Uh, and it's going to be a powerful, powerful series. Uh, and Kevin and Jason are going to help me do some of the teaching in it. And so I want to encourage you guys uh, to be here for 